we, we use these words that stop us, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Difficult, challenging. So I, I'm just a, a big believer that words can really just make a difference both internally and externally. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results. And they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. On October 28th and 29th, Quint Studer will present our keynote to our audience and join me for a conversation at our Destination High Performance Conference. We've been talking about it for the last several months and it's getting closer and closer. We welcome all of you to join us for this free virtual event. You can register at studereducation.com slash events. Please join us. It's going to be a great couple of mornings. Quint's been joining us, as I mentioned, for several weeks now, and he's back again today to discuss why the words we say matter. Effective communication plays a vital role in solving almost any problem in the workplace. It's great to have Quint back on our show today, and Quint, uh, as always, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. So we're going to talk about words that matter and, and a very specifically uh, article that you wrote that referenced a book by Terry Short. And Terry's going to be on our, our show um, as well down the road. But I wanted to start with the question to you. Why do the words, words that we say, things that we say, why do they matter so much to what we do? Well, I think because, you know, any, you know, anytime you communicate, you have the sender and the receiver. And I, I've learned over the years that the word that I use not only sends the message to who I'm communicating with, but sometimes it sends the message to me. And one of the things I, I talk about often is I used to say all the time, well, I got to go on the road this week. I got to be on the road. I got to be at this hotel. I got to be on this airline. And my um, cousin, I call him Cousin Al, one day said, why don't you use the word get instead of got? And, you know, all of a sudden when I say I get to go on the road today, I get to go work with these organizations, I get to, just changing got to get, I know it might sound just crazy and maybe it's only me, but it was such a paradigm shift in my brain. It went from me feeling I had to go to something to I get the privilege of actually going to something and making a difference. We've learned that with words. Another thing that was real interesting in a, with my background is when you have to do what I would call service recovery, you know, or, or say, whether it be a, a parent, whether it be a school board member, whether it be in healthcare, there's a patient, people don't want to admit they're wrong. So they, they just, well, I don't want to admit I'm wrong. And we said, well, why don't you just say, we're sorry that you perceived this? We're sorry you feel this way. You're not admitting you're wrong, but you are using different wording to get to where you want to go. So words matter. And I, I guess uh, how I look at it, in fact, you know, when I first started Studer Group, one of our must-haves was keywords at key times. You know, what keywords do you use at key times to really make the situation something you, you want to make it? It's, it's so different. I'll finish and then go to you because I could. I can tell I have passion about this topic. You know, Beth Keen, who one of my books is, is dedicated to, talked about spinach in your teeth. You know, when you care about someone, you have spinach in your teeth. But there's a difference of me saying, 
throwing out, hey, let me tell you, you got spinach in your teeth, to saying something like, you know, I really care about you, Janet. I know you'd like to know this. That, that sets it up. So I, I just think words make all the difference in the world for one, making somebody feel better or for diffusing a situation that could have been difficult. Yeah. You know, one thing I've, as I've connected with executive leaders, Quint, you know, one of the things I've found myself saying to them as we begin to build the key message, right, a key message to what we're trying to get to, you know, I'll ask, what outcome are you trying to achieve? And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but really looking at what outcome you're trying to achieve and then working back from, then how do we create the right words to get to that outcome so that the person on the other end understands that? Does that make sense? No, it's exactly right. One of the huge impacts in my life was Stephen Covey's The Seven Essential Habits of Highly Effective People. And he talks about start with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think when we start with the end in mind, so, so for example, I think if you're talking to someone who's upset or concerned, you want to make sure you can calm them down. But one of the things they want to know is that you're going to give them time. So I think even saying something like, I want to make sure I give you time to explain the whole situation. So please don't feel you have to rush. This is about you, not about me. You know, I think letting people you have time because people think you live. I mean, the number one people some say to me these days is I know you're busy, but they're already then coming up with reasons to maybe not have the whole conversation (laughs) or they're feeling rushed. And I want to say to them, you know, I'm here to hear you. I want to understand this better. Um, So please, I, I have time right now. Help me understand what's going on. That's another word, phrase I use all the time, Janet, is instead of saying I disagree or I don't understand it, I will say to them, help me understand this. You know, help me understand a little better where you're coming from. Help me yeah. understand what's causing, causing you to feel this way. And I find when you use the word help me, mm-hmm. it, it's more, they, it's not, what you don't want to do is use words like you. I try to stay away from you you know, should, you know, those type of words also already put somebody in a defensive manner. You want to get people, I, I call it in conversations, you want to get people leaning forward, not pulling back. Yeah. You know, another thing that I, I've heard you say too, and I there was a great Harvard Business Review article, not last spring, but the spring before last that really talked about feedback. And it's like feed people say they want feedback, but did they really? You know, that was kind of the article and it had a it had the kind of just keywords, but one of the things that it said, and I've heard you do this, is when when you're giving people feedback, just being empathetic to say something more, put it on you. You know, like when I, I don't know, you know, something like, I don't know about you, but when I've experienced this, this is what it's kind of felt like for me. But what does that feel like for you? You know, just kind of, I've seen you kind of really help people move through a conversation on feedback without having to be openly so critical to to them. I think I learned that when I was working in the behavioral medicine field. In the behavioral medicine field, what they really teach you to do is sort of paraphrase, you know, a little bit or or here's, here's what I'm hearing. Here's what I'm saying. You don't want to do it so script eroded, but you know, nobody goes through life undefeated. And, and I think it's, it's amazing when we're, one of the key words is vulnerability. When we show vulnerability, all of a sudden we want to create a safe environment. And I really think that's what this is all about. A, a safe environment for ourselves and for those who we work with. Think about this. If you're a parent, 
and you've got a child who you're concerned is falling behind, that's not only a school issue, that's possibly a weekend issue, a home issue. And I think anytime an educator can show empathy, um, empathy toward that um, parent. One of my favorite stories, Janet, is my second grandson had a pretty severe speech impact and, you know, kids would make fun of him. Well, he became a very good fighter. Kids would make fun of him and he'd get in these fights. So he was tossed out of um, day, daycare, decided he would be better off in another place. Swim lessons, decided he'd be better off in another place. So um, what, what you could do is he went and he got, um, you know, M-teamed in a local school district. It was actually Janesville's school district. And they put him in what they call talk and learn at Roosevelt School. Talk and learn. So he didn't want to go because he hated, he just hated this. In fact, he'd like hang in the car. She'd have to like pull him to get him into school. It was just terrible for her to get him into the classroom because all he was thinking, this is going to be bad. And she went to pick him up one day. And when she went to get him, a teacher assistant was taking him to her. And she looked at my daughter and she said, I really want you to know I really enjoy having Caden in my class. And you and my daughter cried the whole way home. So I, I think words we choose are, are so impactful because all of a sudden you feel better. And I think whether it be, um, I also think it goes the other way. You know, a lot of my talks is it's always cascading down. I mean, how many times if you're a teacher, have you ever sent a letter to the principal telling them thank you? Or sending it to the superintendent of schools. I mean, being a superintendent of schools is a pretty tough job right now with COVID. Mm. I don't think no matter what you choose, probably 50% of the community is not going to like whatever you choose. Um, and then even if some people like it, some people are not liking it. Um, then you've got the chance of taxes are going to be down, enrollment's going to be down, per pupil cost is going to be down. Um, man, I, I am so glad. I, I, I got nine hours toward a PhD to someday be in um, educational leadership. For those of you that don't think I'm smart, I decided this is too hard. I'm going to go into something else. You know, that keyword to that superintendent, that keyword to that non-paid school board member. So I, I'm just a, a big believer that words can really just make a difference both internally and externally. And we, we see that course in healthcare when we can reduce anxiety. And some of the anxiety, by the way, is when you look at just knowing who's taking care of your child, knowing the teacher's skill set. I, I remember a key word here is I would say, you know, Ms. Pilcher, I'm really excited. Um, your daughter, Casey, next year is going to have Miss um, Webb Bodie for their fourth grade teacher. You know, I've been working with Miss Webb Bodie now for five years. And I will tell you, Every parent comes back to me and says, wow, what a great experience. And I just want you to know that I think Casey's going to have a great experience. Or I might even say, and this happens all the time, when you look at education, Janet, it's transitions where the kid falls down. The summer transition, the middle, high, grade school to middle school, middle school to high school. And, and I think also using that keyword from one teacher to the next teacher on how to best work with that parent or how to best work with um, that student. And that use words like difficult, challenging. Right. I mean, 
at Studer Group, the famous word with every client was they're very challenging. I'd say, well, if they weren't challenging, they probably wouldn't be paying us right That's now. Right. So, <laughs> That's right. You know, but we, we, we use these words that stop us, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Difficult, challenging. In our, in our coffee shop, we know we're in a bad day when they go, we were slammed. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. for 10 minutes you were slammed, but not for seven hours. So I yeah. think <laughs> we also have to look at words we use that provide somebody to have a, a perception of a student or a teacher or a principal or a superintendent when they haven't even experienced that person yet. Yeah, that's great. We don't even intend to do it in a negative way, but just by the choice of words that we use could have a, a negative result. You know, the same, I think, Quint, for being self-deprecating with humor. You know, you have such a, a good way with humor. But sometimes people are so self-deprecating with that, and, and that isn't necessarily a good thing. Just your thoughts there. I think there's two things. First of all, you should, I think you should avoid sarcasm at all cost. I, I used to actually sort of think I was quite good at it. In fact, people would tell me I was like a cut-down artist in high school, you know, almost like dueling cut-downs, you know. <laughs> and, and then one day, I thought I was being quite funny at a meeting. And a guy came up to me, Bob was his name, and he said, you know what the definition of sarcasm is? is? I said, no. He says, tearing one's flesh. Why do you want to tear someone's flesh? It stopped me cold. So when I look at things, you know, we, we, we might think we're funny, but if we're hurting someone's feeling, it's just not worth it. Now, so I, I try to stay away from sarcasm completely. Now, I think... I think you can't overuse it where they just think you're manipulating them. You know, things like, oh, I've made every, every mistake in the book. Oh, come on now. You really haven't. Or you're just saying that. So I think you have to pick it right. But you yeah. do have to let people know, I think, that this wasn't easy for you, that this is hard for you. You have to have a, a sense of a humor about it. I remember CEOs would introduce me. And they said, Quint, the reason I like you is because you let people know this is hard stuff. Mm -hmm. You let people know that this isn't easy. So I think it's good to have fun with yourself, but you should never have fun at the expense of other people. Yeah. Uh, I was coaching some, a speaker one day, and the speaker was talking about telling stories of places they visited and silly stuff they were doing, and people would laugh. And I'd say, you get invited to many places? He goes, no, I do a lot of keynotes. I say, so that's because they don't want you telling about the funny stuff they do. You know, you, you got to be real. You got to be real sensitive. This yeah. is hard. Education is hard. Teaching is hard. Being a principal, my gosh, come on now. And then a superintendent or a school board member. So I think making fun of yourself and but make it, doing it in a way that it's, they can relate. That's the key thing that they can feel good about making mistakes or they can feel good about maybe being a little behind. I, yeah. I tell the story, and for those of you that don't know me, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. This is my favorite ego deflation stories I'm going to tell you now. And I've got, I think this is my 39th year, I think, of sobriety. But when I um, had 10 years sobriety, I was going to a 12-step meeting. And because I was leaving that town, I was going to be the keynote speaker, if you could call it that, at this at this meeting. And I noticed at this meeting, it was usually 75 to about 100 people, so a nice nice group. And they're so polite that when the speaker got done at the end of the night, people would line up and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
So I was pretty pumped about speaking. And I wanted to end early so the lineup could form as quickly as possible to say thank you, thank you, thank you. So I get done speaking and dang it, nobody, they all leave. Like no <laughs> one's coming up to me. So I'm, I'm sitting there wondering. So finally this one guy comes up to me and I'm feeling so good. And he says, you know, I got to tell you, I've been really struggling. But hearing you tonight, I feel so much better. And I'm thinking, whoa, I really, this is worth it. He said, how many years you got? 10? I said, yep. He said, well, I got four. And I've been so disappointed on my progress. But after hearing where you're at at 10, I feel a heck of a lot better now. <laughs> and, and, and what I'm trying to say to people, and I don't know if it fits exactly what we're talking about, but you've got to learn to deflate your own ego. Because oh. if you don't deflate your own ego, it's going to get deflated for you. But yeah, yeah I, I think key words, I tell people all the time, Janet, when I give them feedback, you know, I care about you. You know, I, I know you're committed to your development. I try to hit some positive stuff, but then I try to get into to some things. And the last thing that Terry talks about is turn your thank you notes into love notes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really fascinating because that's the biggest change I've made in the last, well, since June of last year, uh, when my good friend John Meislick passed away, June 30th, as he was dying at 54 years old, he told me the one thing that he wants to make sure I do is tell people I love them. And since then, I've just been much better. I mean, it's amazing. And I don't think we should be afraid of that word. Because I think we love our students. I think we have to love our teachers if we're a principal. Um, so I'm with Terry 100%. You know, we had a, one of our employees' mother passed away last week. When I got the note that his mother had passed away, I called him. And I was still, didn't think he'd answer because, I mean, she had just passed away maybe an hour or two before that. And I was going to leave a message and he answered. You know, it's interesting when you tell somebody you love them. Mm. They sort of say, well, I love you too. And it just creates magic in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, I think people that don't want to do it think, well, then they're going to say this or that. And of course, you have to be appropriate and so on. So, um, yeah, and I think that you don't even have to tell them you love them. But I think you have to let them know that you care about them. And you can't just be mechanical in the words yeah. you use. And that's the feedback I get sometimes is, well, if it'll be scripted. Well, it might feel like that at first. But I'll tell you, it doesn't feel that way to the receiver. No, no, I don't think it does. And, you know, it just kind of reminds me, you, um, you know, my parents, you know, my mom really well. And I mean, they're just, they're so such great parents. Then they love me and I love them so much. And, but we, we've never been a family. <clears throat> they're also pretty hard, right? They're, they've been strict on my life and pushing me to be better and better and better always. So, you know, we've not been that family that's naturally exchanged that I love you or expression of words. And, you know, we, I've, I've tried to make that commitment in the last six months, um, especially with COVID. I really got scared for my parents when this moved. I just, you know, was just been afraid it's going to happen to them. Their end of life might not be what I always expected it to be. And I got really afraid, you know, just afraid of not having right. that, you know, so it just pushed me to do things to, in ways that I haven't normally 
done and been more expressive. And what I've found, Quint, is just what you're saying. So have they with me, right? I mean, it's it's teaching each other and, or helping each other get better at that. And it's Not, just well, my mom. Funny. You know, my mom's <laughs> 95. She grew up in this era. Her maiden name is Sensdoc, and her claim to fame is Sensdocs don't squeal, and Sensdocs are tough, tough. And she had a, when my father died, I mean, not that she didn't care, but she didn't see a lot of emotion. When my sister passed away, it was, she just, we'd move right on. That's how she was. We just move right on. So saying things like, I love you, never felt comfortable. But, but I too, it's funny, we are both going through that, have now said more and more to her, I love you. And I tell you, I was a little uncomfortable at first because yeah. we just didn't do it. And now she's saying it back. But, you know, I get a kick out of your mom because she, she, she is a tough cookie. Yeah. If anybody doesn't know. And, and when, when Janet won the, um, the Pensacola Greater Area Chamber, gives out some prestigious awards every year. And I think two or three years ago, you won the Outstanding Educator. And and I know how good she felt, but knowing her, she probably just said, you know, they should have given it to her. Right? <laughs> probably, I'm surprised it took this long for her to get it. So yeah, and they, it, you know, just that's true. Jen and I always share. Our parents were very similar. My my mother's very um, direct, <laughs> likes to be in charge. I was going to use the word bossy. Likes to be in charge. I mean, I've been with Janet's mother. And she'll say, you have to go do this, go do that, go do that. And I just start doing it where the dad's just a lover. And, you know, that's how my dad was. He was just a, just, just a lover. And, uh, but they both figured out who was in charge quite quickly. You got it. (laughs) You got it. You got it. Quint, thanks so much for today. I enjoyed this and um, always enjoy you and looking forward to you being with um, some of our partners and people who want to make that personal connection with you at the end of October. Just appreciate you so much. And I think, I think that recognition, you know, I, I think when school boards, have teachers come up and they recognize them. But I guess my message now, and I'm, not, I'm sure most of your podcasts are for people at educational leadership positions, but it's those teachers out there. You know, teachers can be pretty tough on a principal, if I remember right. Principals can be pretty tough on a superintendent. And um, I would encourage them to give a little love, give a little love to their principals and, and give a little love to the the superintendent, because I think they're out there every day doing the absolute best job they can do because they, they love the children and they want the children to, to do as best as they possibly could. Yeah. And we need it more than ever right now. So thank you so much. Our next episode, we will have a conversation with Terry Short. She's the author of the book, The Words We Choose, Your Guide to How and Why Words Matter. It's the book we referenced today on the podcast episode and the one that Quint talked about. Terry believes if we would just pay a little more attention to our words, we'd greatly improve our self-awareness and build our emotional intelligence, absolutely transforming our daily experiences. As you can see today, Quint set that up for us really, really well. So, I hope you tune in to our interview with Terry on episode number 121.
And again, to learn more about our free upcoming virtual events like our roundtables, the Destination High Performance, we just talked about conference and what's right in education conference in November, visit studereducation.com slash events. As always, thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you're subscribed. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. Look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.